0: So that, um, that children's sermon was plan B. Children's sermon plan A was to show a clip from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And we had this great debate in my house last night whether that was appropriate. It's a little bit of a creepy film. It's a little bit scary. But what I wanted to show them was the, the clip. Remember, remember the premise of Willy Wonka? Six kids get the golden ticket. And they get a tour through the chocolate factory. And all they have to do is follow the tour guide. And it's going to be an awesome experience. But three of the kids are naughty. And they don't want to follow the tour guide. And so when he tells them about this bubble gum that that tastes like a three-course meal, one of the girls, like, she wants it now. And he tells her, don't do that. And she eats the bubble gum. And what does she turn into? Like this blueberry. (laughs) And you know, just it gets really huge. And, and then one boy, there's the chocolate river, this pristine chocolate river, and, and he wants to drink from it. And the tour guide, the, the Willie, says, don't do that. And he reaches down and drinks from the chocolate river and falls in and gets sucked up to the, the, the tube. And all the oompa loompas come out. That's kind of the freaky part. And then there's this one girl, and that was the clip I wanted to show. There's the golden goose egg. And she sees that golden goose egg, and she wants it now. And she's got a dad who is enabling her. He's ready to write the check to Willy Wonka. And, and Willy says it's not for sale, and she throws a, an absolute fit. She wants that golden goose. And then she gets sucked down a drain, and the dad said, where did she go? And he said he went to the furnace. It's like, whoa. <laughs> and then the dad goes jumping in the tube down after her. So imagine with me that we all just saw that children. We just had that children's sermon experience. It's going to come back in the sermon here. The the word of God insists on something that does not seem so self-evident to us, and that is transformation is possible. The word of God insists the transformation real transformation real change change that is lasting change that is deep not just superficial it is possible in fact the word of god goes a step further and says not only is it possible but it's expected romans chapter 12 god says to us be transformed that's a command be transformed. Be changed. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. Be changed. Uh, many of us have been watching The, the Chosen now for several seasons, and, and I love the line that Mary Magdalene says in The Chosen early on. She says, I was one way, and now I am completely different, and the thing that happened in between was him. That's a testimony of transformation. God declares that transformation is possible, but if we're going to be honest about it, we would probably say it doesn't always seem like it. It may be possible, but it certainly is not easy. Do you know what's easy? Resignation. What's easy is kind of throwing your hands up in the air and just saying, I It's pointless. It's hopeless. I'm never going to change. I'm never going to be different. I am what I am. Or the the more popular mantra today, it is what it is. It's, It's futile. So why even bother trying? Anybody can do that. That is easy. But transformation? That's tough. I was listening to a a podcast, a leadership podcast this week from a a friend of mine named Trisha Taylor, and she made this statement. If you want to be different, you've got to do different. If you want to be different, you've got to do different. Here's another way to say that. You have done everything just right to be where you presently are. You've done everything perfectly to be where you presently are. And if you want to be somewhere else than where you presently are, then you're going to have to do some things differently. And so why are we doing through Lent the life you always wanted and we're introducing these spiritual practices that's an invitation for us to do something different because we want to be different. Because we want transformation. I mentioned last week that transformation is a collaboration between us and God. We each have a role to play. And I chose this image today as the the backdrop because there's four hands. Normally we think of the potter's wheel. We just think of the hands of the potter crafting that, that pot But really what's going on is we've got the hands of God, but he's also inviting us to partner with him in our own transformation. We've got a role to play. There are things that only God can do, and we talked about that last week. Only God can change our heart. You and I can't change our heart any more than a leopard can change his spots. Only God can do it, and he's promised he will. But then there are things that that he has said, this is your job to do, and I'm not going to do it for you. I'm going to set before you two roads. I'm going to set before you a road that I'm going to call life. And I'm going to set before you a road that I'm going to call death. And I'm going to ask you to choose. And that's our role to play in transformation. We have to make this choice of what road we're going to walk down. So today we are going to be looking at what is our role in transformation. We're going we'll to be looking at a passage from Galatians chapter 5. Join me as we pray for the reading of God's word. Father God, we stand in grace. We rest in grace. We rest in your love. We rest in your mercy. But we also want to walk in transformation. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, And so we pray that you would even use this time right now in your word, by the power of your word, by the power of your spirit, to do a work in us that we can't accomplish on our own. And I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, we're looking at uh, Galatians chapter 5. This is a letter that Paul is writing to a, a church that has been planted, uh, that he's planted, Galatians chapter 5. We're going to pick it up at verse 16, and we'll just uh, take parts of it as we go. Verse 16, it says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And we're going to come back and, and address that last sentence. It's a kind of a dangling sentence. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Like, what does that mean? We're going we're gonna, to come back to that. But uh, I want to focus on this idea that that there's this conflict going on inside all of us. Because we've got this sin nature that resides in us. And if you're a follower of Christ, if you receive Christ, you also have the Spirit in you. And they are are at odds with one another. There's a collision that is taking place inside of you. When I was a, a, a child, I wanted to be a grown-up. And one of the reasons I wanted to be a grown-up was because I had this assumption that when I'm older, I can do whatever I want to do and be whatever I want to be. Like When I'm older, I am never going to eat another Brussels sprout for the rest of my life. That was my assumption. I can do whatever I want to do. I can be whatever I want to be. And now I am. I am grown up. Now I am an adult. And what I've discovered is that My assumption was not accurate because there are things that I want to be and I struggle to be them. Why is that? If I'm an adult, I can make my own decisions. Why is it that I'm not the person that I want to be consistently? I don't always do the things that I want to do. Who do I want to be? I want to be courageous. I want to be a a man who is courageous. But there's a collision that takes place in my life because I also want people's approval. And sometimes my desire to be courageous and my desire for approval clash. And I find that I'm not as courageous as I want to be. I'm a person who wants to be disciplined in all the facets of my life. But I also find that I've got these fleshly appetites that are strong. And sometimes it's hard to say no to them. There's this collision that's taking place in me. I'm a person who who wants to be loving. I want to be compassionate. I want to be invested. But there's a collision that's taking place because I also really like being comfortable. I like being comfortable. I, I, I don't want to be stretched. I don't want to be inconvenienced. And so there's this collision, and I don't consistently be the person that I want to be. Am I alone on the island? Please tell me. No, 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 of course not. I'm not alone on this island. Every single one of us, I, I, if we're honest, can identify. Your sentence might be different than mine. You want to be what? I want to be honest. I want to be a person of integrity. I want to be a a person who's filled with joy. I want to be patient. I want to be rude. I want to be kind. I want to be self controlled. I want to be humble. But there's this collision that takes place in, in me. And sometimes I find it convenient to be a little loose with the truth. And sometimes I'm just a grouch and I'm depressed. The last thing you would look at me and say is that person's joyful. Sometimes I'm not kind. There's this collision that's going on inside of me. This is true of all of us because the battle is real. The battle that we're all involved in, it is a real battle. Do you realize every single person, and I'm talking about believer or unbeliever, it doesn't matter. Every single person is in a battle. If you are an unbeliever, if you have yet to trust in Christ, yet to submit your life to Christ, you are in a battle with God. You're in a battle with God. The scripture says that you are an enemy of the cross, that that you are hostile to God until you submit to him. You're in a battle with God and that plays out in one of two ways. Either you are saying, I want to do things my own way. I want to call my own shots. I want to be my own God. That's one way that we battle against God. But do you realize we also battle against God when we say, I want to be my own savior? Like, I'm going to try and be righteous on my own. I'm going to I'm going to do this church thing. I'm going to do this religious thing, and I'm going to excel at it. I'm going to earn my own way. That's at war against God because you can't do that. You can't be your own savior. We are in a battle against God, and it is a a battle that we must lose. We must lose the battle against God. And the instant we do, the instant we wave our white flag of surrender to God, we submit to him as the Lord and Savior of our life. We have peace with God. We are no longer in battle with God. We are a child of God. We are a friend of God. But the moment we put that stake, that, that flag of allegiance to God in the ground, we leave the battlefield with God and we enter a new battlefield with a new enemy. And now we are in a battle with the, the Prince of Darkness. We are in a a battle with the devil himself. We are in a battle with the power of sin that lives in us. Everyone's in a battle. Nobody can, can be battle free. It's a matter of pick your battle. Do you want to be in a battle against God, a battle that you must lose? Or would you rather be in a battle against the prince of darkness? And the battle against the prince of darkness is a battle that we must win. If we're going to be transformed, it is a battle that we must win. If transformation is possible and God declares that it is and he expects transformation, that means the battle that we're in with the prince of darkness, the battle we're in with the power of sin is a battle that can be won. God would not call us to be transformed if he was calling us to something that is impossible to a battle that can't be won. We are in a battle against an enemy that can be defeated through the power of Christ in us. If you are a follower of Christ, the Spirit of God lives in you. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? And this God that is living in you, it's not like he's the third string and he's at the end of the bench being put into the game at the last two minutes. This is very God of very God. The Almighty God lives in you. And he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world, which means we have a decided advantage. We are in a lopsided battle where the odds are all in our favor. The Spirit of God lives with us. So, how do we engage this battle? Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Here it is. Willy Wonka is the tour guide. And if they just follow the tour guide, everything is going to play out right. The scripture in Galatians says, walk in the spirit. Jesus said the spirit is our counselor, he is our helper, and he is our guide. God gave us the spirit to guide us into all truth. And so what is our job? It is to keep in step with the tour guide that is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit also lets us know when we get off step, when we are drawn to that bubble gum or the chocolate river or the golden goose, I want the golden goose. The Holy Spirit lets us know, ah, 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 come on back. And the Holy Spirit's really good, really good at his job. He is faithful to do it. So our job is to to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. You're in a battle. The only Christian who doesn't think they're in a battle is the Christian who has quit fighting. The Christian who has decided to lay down on the battlefield, lay down my arms, they think, what's all the fuss? There's no battle going on. No, because you're laying down on the battlefield. You've quit fighting. You've laid down your arms. But the second you pop up your head, the second you get your feet under you and you stand up, you're going to recognize the battle is real. Then someone might say, Well, why stand up? Just keep laying down on the battlefield. You know what? Some of us have quit fighting. We're laying down on the battlefield, and you know what we're telling ourselves? At least I'm going to heaven. Like, I'm going to quit fighting, and I'm going to know that no matter how junky this life gets, no matter how junky I get, at least I'm going to heaven. As we continue reading the scripture, you know what it's going to tell us? Pause that thought. Hold on to that thought. Don't be so, so self-assured. Some of us, and I'll, I'll include myself in this, have been laying down on the battlefield for far too long. And it's time to stand up. If you've been laying down on the battlefield, and you know deep in your heart you have quit fighting. If you've been laying down on the battlefield, this is the word of the Lord for you today. Stand up. Stand up. Strengthen your weak knees and your feeble arms. Make level paths for your feet. Stand up. And when the devil knocks you down, and he will, stand up. And when you do that sin again, And you are so disappointed in yourself. Stand up. And when the voice comes in your head that says it's hopeless. I'm never going to change. I'm never going to be different. Stand up. And when people tell you don't bother. Why bother? Just lay down on the battlefield. You're going to heaven anyway. Stand up. Get in the fight. Five foot 10, 202 pounds. He's regarded as one of the best running backs ever to play. Walter Payton. Almost 17,000 yards. Tackled thousands of times. We used to call it three, three yards in a cloud of dust. And Walter Payton was asked, how did you do it? How did you get so many yards? And he said, I kept getting back up. And if you remember watching Walter Payton play, if you're old enough, what did he always do? He'd put that ball about a yard ahead of where he was tackled, and he'd pop up to his feet as fast as he could. He didn't want the the enemy, the opponent, to know if he was hurt. He would pop up to his feet as fast as he could. Stand up. Paul's inviting us to stand, to get into the battle, and when we get knocked down, stand back up. So before we jump to the next paragraph, we want to come back to that dangling sentence. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. It's kind of an odd sentence. So here's the context of that. Paul would plant these churches, and he'd bring to them the gospel, and they would hear this incredible news. They've been under Judaism. They've been under 613 different laws that they had to to keep rigorously in order to keep God pleased, and he would bring to them this gospel, this good news that they are forgiven, that, that Christ has accomplished everything. He has kept the law perfectly for you. And then Paul would leave and some other missionaries would come, Christian missionaries, Christian missionaries. And they would tell the people, yes, this is good news, but you've still got to keep the law. You, you can't stop doing all those things that you were doing. If we, if we don't have the law, it's going to be anarchy Like, evil is going to triumph. And so these missionaries would come and they would suck all the joy right back out of the church. And they were right back where they were, enslaved to the law. And so Paul writes to them and he's saying, nonsense. Nonsense. If you are led by the Spirit, you don't need a law. You don't need a law to tell you not to cheat, not to steal. Not to kill. The Spirit of God in you tells you that. You know it. You don't need a law in you to to say love your neighbor. Be honest. The Spirit confirms that thing, which sets up the next paragraph. So continuing reading. The acts of the sinful nature, that sinful nature that resides in all of us, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious The word obvious means you don't need a law to know it. Like, it is self-evident. And then he's going to go on and he's going to list 15 sins, 15 categories of sin. As we read this list, I'm guessing one of them is going to strike close to home. Maybe five of them will strike close to home. Maybe 10 of them will strike close to home. Here's the list. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. I had to look up debauchery. Debauchery is an overindulgence in our appetites when we overindulge in them. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, Factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And the like means this is not like the all uh, conclusive list. This is just a sampling. Like the number of sins, there's so many different things that we can fall into. Fifteen different types of sin are listed here. There are some high profile sins that we usually focus on in this list sexual immorality. It's the one that gets a whole lot of attention. Drunkenness gets a lot of attention. Uh, this debauchery, this overindulgence in things. There, there's kind of groups of sin here, and those, those three sins have something in common. What they have in common is they are things that God created that are Good and they become bad when we put excessive weight on them, when we we pursue them outside of the guardrails that God has given us. Sex is created by God, designed by God, and he's given us the means to have a a sexual relationship that is gratifying to us and glorifying to him. He's given us the guardrails. Sexual immorality happens when we push beyond the guardrails. Debauchery. He's given us appetites. It's good that food is good. I had an incredible meal last night, and that was a gift of God, a blessing of God. But when we pursue that beyond the guardrails, when we become gluttonous, then we take something good, and it becomes bad. Drunkenness. God has given us the gift of the fruit of the vine. And then we take that, and we, we overindulge in that, and we take something that's good, and it becomes bad bad and then you've got this list of sins that all are about relationships isn't it interesting he's writing to a church and the bulk of the sins listed here all have to do with relationships do you wonder if there was something going on in the church that he was writing to jealousy fits of rage selfish ambition dissensions factions envy drunkenness orgies and the like These are are some of the sins that that we gloss over as if like they're less offensive to God. Envy, does God really care about that in the same way he cares about sexual immorality? Factions, jealousy, dissension, yes. It's all offensive to God. Here's the thing about transformation. Step one, stand up. Get in the game. Get in the fight. Step two, acknowledge your sin. We are in the unique position as Christians to be freed up to be able to acknowledge our sin. What does the scripture say? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We stand in grace. And because we stand in grace and because there is no condemnation, we are in a position to be honest. To be honest about those things in our life, the weeds in our life. Does the scripture not say, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? We like to quote that to unbelievers. Isn't that true of us? For all have sinned. Doesn't the scripture say, all like sheep have, have gone astray? And so should we be dismayed when we find out there's a sinner in our midst? When the scripture says, obviously there is, you're sitting next to one, and and guess what? The person sitting next to you, they're also sitting next to a sinner. And so if we're going to be a community where transformation takes place, we've got to be a community where real sin can be acknowledged, can be brought into the light, and there is not shame and there is not condemnation. It's all they say, as they say, about the growth. It's all about the transformation. Scripture continues. The fruit of the Spirit. So we've just had this long list of the fruits of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's keep in step with the tour guide. The fruits of the Spirit. I was looking at that list, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and and recognize these are really just attributes of God. These are attributes of God. Have you ever known someone who's been married for 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, and the spouses actually begin to look alike? Like it's almost creepy the, the way they look alike. They, they begin to rub off on each other. That's what we're called to do. We're called to walk with, with Christ in such a way that we begin to look the same. We pick up some of his attributes. God has a lot of attributes. Some of them are called incommunicable attributes. Stick with me. I've been preaching a long time, I know. But this is so good. Some of God's attributes are incommunicable. Some of them are communicable. Incommunicable attributes are attributes that are never going to be true of us. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. You are never going to be all-knowing. God is omnipotent, all-powerful. We're never going to be all-powerful. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. We're never going to be omnipresent. That makes them incommunicable attributes But then he's got a whole bunch of attributes that are communicable attributes. They're true of him and they can be true of us. That word communicable, where have you heard that before? Disease, a communicable disease. Hello, we have just come through and maybe still in this incredible season where we're all familiar with communicable diseases. What is a communicable disease? It's a disease that can be caught. It's an infection that can be caught. And how do you catch it? Proximity and time. Spend any time, get close to someone in your family who has a cold, and pretty soon you're going to have the sniffles. And you're going to start coughing because it's a communicable infection. The attributes of God, love, joy, peace, patience, kind they're communicable. It's an infection. That if we get close to him, proximity, and we spend time with him, we're going to get the sniffle of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. So how are we transformed? One, stand up, get in the fight. Number two, acknowledge where you're off course. And then number three, draw near to God, proximity, and walk with him. And you will pick up the attributes. And I'm going to close with this. These are fruit of the Spirit. And we've already said the Spirit is in you, which means the fruit is already in you. It's not our job to import love, to manufacture love. It's in you. Love is in you. If the Spirit of God is in you, love is in you. And as we draw near to God and as we walk with Him, you know what He does? He unearths it. He brings it to the surface and it begins to, to shine. Transformation is possible and it's expected, but if we want to be different, we have to do different. And then we'll be able to say, I was one way and now I'm different. And the thing that happened in between was him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your hand is on the potter's wheel. Your hand is on the clay of our life. And Lord, we acknowledge our responsibility to also have our hands joining yours on this clay that is us. And Lord, you know for each of us the sentence that that we want to be one way, but we struggle. We find ourselves in this collision, find ourselves being another way. Lord, help us do different. Lord, when you present to us the, the road, this is life and this is death, Lord, help us pursue life. And then we pray that you would do what only you can do for your glory. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.